Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Dr. L. Carol Scott. Dr. Scott created the Seven Childhood Treasures model, which is beneficial to anyone, no matter what kind of childhood experienced, be it dysfunctional and traumatic or sane and nurturing. Hi, Carol. Hi, Mish. I'm so glad to be here. Well, me too. You know, you and I had a chance to chat and um, I personally am always really intrigued with how what happens in our childhood. And like you said, be it like, you know, if you have like a very dysfunctional thing going on or if you've got like the best parents on earth, there are things that are going to happen in your childhood that will inform what you were doing as an adult and can sometimes cause issues in your adulthood that you're like, why am I this way? I need somebody to help me navigate this and figure it out. And that's what you do. That is what I do. As a developmental psychologist, I've spent my whole career learning about and having practical experience of children's development, particularly from birth to seven years of age. And that's what we all don't know about our own development is that it, that period from birth, particularly to five, really largely determines who we are in, in our personality and in our capacity to get along as adults. And it's in, and, and you just, I mean, I did not know until I was older how important those first years were. And then just different things that I didn't realize that were so important that we needed to be doing with our children. Like, luckily I was like reading like crazy and taking this all in <laughs> when my daughter was young. Cause I was like, I have to, this is important. You know, yeah. this whole, you know, like, okay. I grew up with the Dr. Spock thing. Yeah, me too. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I did not like Dr. Spock because he said that you had to take a cold bath if you had a temperature, which I found out later you didn't have to. I'm like, oh my gosh, mom, we, did, we didn't have to do a cold bath, <laughs> you know, but luckily my mom didn't listen to all of the stuff this guy was telling us. <laughs> Thank goodness. No kidding. But I, I think, was he the one that wanted, was talking about like, let babies cry it out? Mm-hmm. Yes. Dr. And- Dr. Benjamin Spock was really about um, creating schedules and routines for children that were uh, kind of set in stone and weren't necessarily responsive to the child. Right. And when children are hungry, they need to eat right away. They don't need you to wait until it's two o'clock. Right. I could, I never got the scheduling thing. And I also, I remember the cry it out thing. Um, I couldn't. Yeah. Same thing. It's like the baby should be asleep. Do not do that. So when Mm -hmm. my daughter was like crying and wanted to be held and I did the, I tried the cried out thing. Like once I just stood there and I was like, nope, nope, it doesn't feel right. I don't care what anybody says. I don't like it. Good. (laughs) I'm I'm glad. You know, and, and I was so happy I didn't. Um, but I, you know, I think going with what is inside you and your intuition and your mom feelings are telling you is an important part of your child's development. You know, I so agree with you. And there are uh, women in my mother's generation who raised children my age with Benjamin Spock as their guide, who I have heard talk about, you know, I had to go in the other room and put my fingers in my ears because I couldn't stand to hear my baby cry. But Dr. Spock said, I can't feed her for another 30 minutes. So I sat in the other room with my fingers in my ears and cried too. Oh, How heartbreaking heart. that mothers made those kinds of choices. So we know better now and we do better now. 
And we know yeah. that those, especially those first three years when children are so little, there's no logic in their brains. They can't manipulate us. They're, everything that they're doing is raw, fresh emotion coming right from the navel. So they're not trying to control us yet. That's when they're five and six. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that starts. <laughs> but like, I mean, I remember reading something about that whole manipulation thing, and I was like, really? Little babies mm -hmm. can manipulate you? That's no, they can't. They really fascinating. can't. You know, yeah, we don't get even get the ability to think about cause and effect and be logical in the concrete world, like understand that if I push this block over, it's going to tip over the next one and the next one. We don't start to get that until we're five, six years old. Well, and isn't it also true that, you know, like when you leave the room, the child doesn't know that you still exist. Very, so very part early, of the yes. whole, like, I'm going to cry again or something. So you come back in and look at me and I go, oh, okay, you're still here. You yeah. know? Yeah, very, very young infants don't have a concept of objects having permanence outside of their direct sensory contact with them. And so, yes, they think when we walk out the door, we essentially disappear. Now that is overcome fairly early within the first year of life. Okay. All but right. yes, gotcha. kids do start out that way. They do. I don't know though. I used to think my daughter thought all I did was sit at home and wait for her to get off school. Like she didn't know that I did anything during the day, except maybe just sit at home and go, oh, I just really can't wait till she's at school today. That's very common. And when I was a preschool teacher, all my three, four and five-year-old kids, when they ran into me in public somewhere in the town where we lived, would be shocked that yeah. I didn't just stay at the school all the time and that I had a life and a, hu a husband. And I, <laughs> you know, I went to the grocery store. What a concept. It's true that no, but it is true because I remember when I was little and if I would see a teacher outside of school, yes. it did, like at one point I remember it dawned on me like, oh, they have like a whole life. Uh -huh. Like they're not just sitting around at night going, can't wait to get back to those kids right. tomorrow That's morning. That's right. That's correct. <laughs> so this goes into a lot of places. And I know um, that you've shared with me that you, you did have a traumatic childhood growing up. And so you felt very called to do this kind of work. I really did. And I, I felt called um, and then first had to do my own work. I think the, the what I have observed in my profession and in other helping professions like social work is that the professions call a lot of people who are wounded and want to do better by children than was done by them. Right. But they haven't always done the work to... Um, kind of clean up their own lives enough that they can be better for children than their families were for them. They need to face, you know, and do the, the shadow work and, and find out what needs to be addressed in their own personality development. Because it all happened, all of that, if you want to think of it as real damage, happens mostly before three. And nobody oh, remembers wow. that. Nobody remembers right. that. That's when the part of your brain related to relationships, getting along with other people, trusting other people, um, being able to have mutual uh, respect for, hold mutual respect for, and that's where kindness and compassion and empathy all start is before three. Wow. And, you know, and I, and I know it's, I want to give people out there um, that courage that they might need because it is not easy work. Taking yourself on is not easy. It is but not. My, and, and, and you, you will have to revisit pain, but what if you go revisit that pain for a while and then you are done with it? Leave it behind. It's way yeah. better than being in denial of it, right? It is. 
And the best advice I ever got from a brilliant therapist I worked with for many years was, you know, whatever you're remembering that is hard to remember, a little, little child already went through it in your life. You're just remembering what she went through. If she lived through it, you can live through remembering it. It'll be okay. And don't minimize it. Because I I mean, I've had people that have said things like, well, I I was only five when that happened. I'm like, at five years old, when that happened, that was devastating and scary. And, you know, you as an adult, you don't understand that, you know, I mean, you may not, come on, but you get over it, right? But I think it's important and, and I'm, I'm going, I'm rambling. Oh my gosh, sorry. But oh, I'm no, also thinking of how important it is as an adult to honor and respect that child enough to understand that when they are very upset about something, you as an adult wouldn't get upset about it, but that them at that age, they're, they're very sad and angry and devastated. And that is exactly, Mish, why I do what I do. Because there's this strange phenomenon for us as adults where we look back on memories of our childhood and think about them as if they were happening to us now, how we would be about it now. And we have a whole lot of resources and capacities that we didn't have when we were one and two and three years old. And so how it felt back then was completely different and we've forgotten or we never remembered at all. And most people don't know enough about child development to be able to say, let me put myself in that kid's shoes. At two, what would that be like? And they don't know enough about two to know well, what that right. would be like. Well, right, and also just not to get upset. Like my, my daughter one time took it upon herself to do an art project on a table in her room. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I wish she wouldn't have done it, but I couldn't get mad at her because I never specifically sat down and said, please don't draw on the furniture. So when she did it and I came in a room and I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, and she went, what do you think? I'm like, well, wow, it's beautiful. Very beautiful. (laughs) And I think that you did a fantastic job on it. But can we talk about just one little thing about paper versus furniture, you know? And so I couldn't get upset with her about it because I, and, and as a parent, I think, I mean, not to say like, woo, Mish, greatest parent on earth, but, but that I, I think I was very good at being in a place of understanding that this is where she is. I can't get upset with her about something that she wouldn't even, she wouldn't even know that that's something to get upset about. In early childhood education, we have this huge jargon phrase that is like central to everything we do, developmentally appropriate practice. And it means that teachers use strategies in their classroom and in their curriculum that are developmentally matched to the age, the developmental age of the child, not the chronological age, but how old the child is in terms of their development. And that is exactly what you're talking about is a developmentally appropriate behavior sometimes is a mess for an adult. Um, I like to tell a story about a preschooler I had at the University of Maine whose mother came down and found her early in the morning uh, on the kitchen floor, finger painting basically in a mixture of honey and all of the spices from the spice rack. Ooh, and yum. when the mom, I know when the mom told me about it, I said, what a marvelous sensory experience that must have been for a four-year-old. And she just, the mother just looked at me for a second. And I said, I know, and a huge mess for you. Right, and developmentally, right. it was very appropriate for her to do that. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's hilarious. I mean, I'm sorry, mom, you have to clean it up, but I get it. I totally can see the kid going, look at these fantastic, yummy smelling 
feely things. Let's do this, you know. And a four-year-old can clean up with you. A four-year-old has the skills. Even a three-year-old could could learn. That was a wonderful thing for you to do. And it's also a big mess. And you have to take some responsibility (laughs) for that. So here we are in this time of this pandemic. And, you know, I mean, I cannot imagine what kids are experiencing right now when they, you know, especially when they were all quarantined and they weren't with their friends and you got to wear a mask. And I mean, and everything just feels weird. I mean, you know, adults, we're sitting there going, this is weird. Everything feels weird. And yet, you know, we're trying to take care of our children. And like, what kind of advice do you have for parents dealing with this right now? Um, You know, this is a very interesting question to ask me right now because I'm teaching a class in child guidance for the University of New Mexico, Valencia. And most of my students are young uh, single mothers or they have partners, but they have young kids, most of them. And so a lot of our conversation around child guidance is about this, about I've been home with my kids now. You know, I stopped working last March and I've been home with my kids for a year and I'm like out of my mind, one woman said to me last night, you know, when we started out, they were pretty well behaved, but they're crazy now. I can imagine <laughs> they're cooped up at home exactly. and kids need to run off energy. And so, you know, the advice that I have been giving the students and that I would give, I think, any parent is that children need both structure and freedom. And so the more you can create a day that is routine, that goes the same way pretty much every day. Y'all get up at the same time. Everybody helps fix breakfast. Y'all eat together. You know, whatever you can do that is we do it the same time every day and we do it the same way every time, particularly for children under the age of five or six, crucial to their ability to regulate their emotional state is to have some consistency. And then they also need some play. They need some freedom. They need to go outside and run around in the backyard and use the swings at the park. And they need to have what I would call free play in an educational environment where, you know, you just get out all the blocks and the dolls and you just mess around for an hour on the living room floor and then you put it all away. You know, but there has to be some expectation every day that I don't have to just sit in front of a computer and be on Zoom with my preschool teacher for Pete's sake. For five minute lessons at a time, six times a day, I heard from one family, I'm just shaking my head and wondering where somebody got that idea is a good one. So, you know, kids need to have that balance and then they need us to include them because, uh, uh, you know, if the kids are awake for 12 hours every day, you cannot entertain them or keep them active without engaging them with what you do as a parent because you have to get your stuff done. The laundry, the cooking, the cleaning, all of that household maintenance stuff still has to be done. And children can help a lot with that starting at very early age. I've seen kids as young as two in the kitchen working with their parents making and they food think it's or fun. they have I a mean, blast. they actually love it. It's not like they don't like it. They they think this is awesome. We're gonna right. cook. I'm all and they, this. and they learn, you know, sort light socks from dark socks or, you know, they learn things too. Very cool. I have to admit that I'm 56 and I still like to know what in the world's going to happen the next day. I'm in the consistency, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I'll go out and, you know, play every once in a while. Right. I like consistency. I think that's good. That's good. Well, and I'll <laughs> tell you that as a, as a early childhood educator and as someone who has worked with children and families for decades, the children who are most in trouble academically, socially, 
interpersonally in terms of their ability to control themselves and not commit acts that are illegal. Those kids have the most chaos and the least structure in their lives. I'll be darned. Or they have way too much structure and they're like on lockdown all the time and they have no freedom in their lives. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It's kind of like a, I remember back when my, there was a, there was a person in my life at the time, this other mom that was talking about how they weren't ever going to take their kids to McDonald's and they did, you know, how it's so bad for you and blah, blah, blah. And I kept thinking they're going to get their driver's license and be at McDonald's every day. Every day. You know, you can't keep it as a secret from right. them. You know, you right. have to let them see what's behind those doors so that they know <laughs> what happens there. Because it's a it's a thing. And I didn't even realize, like my daughter was telling me, I never shopped at Walmart, when, and, but all of her friends' parents did. And she was like, I used to think, you know, everybody loves it. Why doesn't my mom go there? Right. You know? Right. Well, she doesn't really like Walmart either when she got older and she was like, oh, I don't know. I'm sorry, Walmart, you know, but, but, you know, she was just like, oh, I see why my mom didn't go. But I told her, I said, had you said to me like, but mom, I just want to go look at, I'd have been like, all right, we'll go. I mean, I, I, I wasn't trying to keep anything from you. I just right. didn't shout there, you know, I you had know, other places I, I liked better. And I think this is part of what um, I think about when I talk about mutual respect between adults and children. So we can develop a real pattern for mutual respect, compassion, and empathy between one and three. That's our prime window for okay. helping kids develop into that kind of a human. Um, and the way to do that partly is we have to learn to respect the child Absolutely. and to recognize there's a unique human being inside that little body. They are not us. They're they have us. feelings that are not our feelings. They have yep. thoughts that are not our thoughts and they have big dreams. They have ideas. They have passions for life and goals that we would never dream of. And that's a lot of, uh, capacity to optimize and to make the best of. And instead we tend to, our American parenting tends to sit on all of that a lot and suppress it and say, no, don't be too much like yourself. You need to be more like what we think you ought to be like, or more like Ugh. us. Yeah. Right? That's a and recipe that for lack, disaster. That's a lack of respect for right. who the child is. And so then the child learns, well, we don't respect people for who they are. We just manage them and make them be in ways that make everybody comfortable. So I, I, I think a, one of the um, ways that I looked at parenting was that I had been honored <clears throat> to have been chosen <laughs> to take care of this person, to be the, the you know, to, to help them navigate yes, life. Yes. It was not my duty to decide what they should be and how they should be, but my duty was to make sure that they were, you know, supported and protected and right. that I was going to help them be the best them they could be. Like, I was like, my daughter, I'm so lucky that the universe said, you get to have her <laughs> and you get to like help her and guide her. Yes. And, and not like she's mine, you know, in the sense of, you know, I have to craft exactly what I want, a little me to do everything. You know, it's like, what, who are you? Let's figure this out, who you are together. And, and you then know let's what? figure that out how to do the best with it. That parenting strategy, Mish, is based in some really sound research and long-time history of developing pedagogy, educational practice and philosophy for the first five years of life, all the way back to John Dewey. Wait, you are reflecting- pedagog Pedagogy. 
what is say pedagogy cool word. isn't that a cool word <laughs> one of my favorites i want to pedagogy, know more pedagogy is the philosophy and practice that you use in education of a child and i okay. think there's parental pedagogy as well and so do a lot of other people so the the practice that you use comes out of a philosophy and those two together are your pedagogy gotcha yeah Yay. and this what you're expressing is a, a kind of pedagogy that has roots as far back as John Dewey um, and um, very famous early childhood philosophers like Magda Gerber and Dr. Emmy Pickler in Romania. You're talking about a, a respect for the individuality of a human being. And you're also talking about recognizing that they have competency. Right. from birth right we as as americans we tend to look at young children as really being kind of incompetent like they can't do anything and they're not they're not doing stuff they're just laying there you know for those early oh years we, we see them as mostly passive recipients and they're very very busy very busy so much going on in that brain. <laughs> their brains are being wired up with their own understanding of how the world works from right. birth to three right right I just love what you do. I just, I find it fascinating. I've, I just think it's amazing. And, 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 you know, I think it's a, a really, we want to put forth to the, all the adults out there that, you know, life isn't perfect and that there's areas that aren't working. Maybe revisiting childhood could really help you to release a lot of the stuff that's in you. That's not, that's not working right now. If you're still standing on a foundation created from birth to seven that's really kind of shaky and has a lot of holes in it, then you're going to have an unstable relationship life, personality life, happiness life, productivity life as an adult. That's just uh, not avoidable, I think. Right, um, right. We have to stand on, on a firm foundation. So let's ask you some fun questions. Okay. All right. Okay, these are just all fun. <laughs> Because we've, kind of we've been talking about heavy subjects. <laughs> we have. So I was like, I have to be all fun with this. Okay. All right. Do you have an article of clothing you simply cannot part with that you just will keep it even if it's got holes and everything? <laughs> you know, yes, probably all of my articles of clothing. You know, I live full time in an RV. And so I carry very little clothing with me because I have very little clothing storage space. Right. Um, so I tend to nurture and, and um, sort of uh, what's the word? Curate my clothing for a long time. But my favorite piece of clothing right now is a long sleeve purple t-shirt that my friend Mary gave me that has a picture of a kind of a wild Peter Max hippie chick look girl Ooh, on it, I wearing the round Max. glasses and the crazy, kind of crazy curly wild hair like cool. mine. And it says, assuming I'm just an old lady was your first mistake. <laughs> but it's true. As you get older, don't you think to yourself like, you know, there's a lot more going on to this little old gal than you all yeah, think. <laughs> right, I do. Oh my Got God, that's a, and I forgot you're like this total nomad. Yes, yeah, I'm kind I of, love that. I'm resident right now. You can obviously see there's a house in the background. That's not a fake uh, screen on Zoom or anything. Um, uh, so I'm house sitting temporarily in the Albuquerque area, but usually I travel around the country in an RV all the time. I love it, I love it. Yeah, I do all too. All right, what is the tallest building you have ever been in? I believe that would have been the World Trade Center, which I visited really? many, many decades ago. I would say probably, it was probably in the mid to late 70s. 
I went to the top of the World Trade Center to the deck where all the walls are glass and you oh, can you wow. could look straight down into the courtyard and you could see on a clear day, you could see all the way to New Jersey. It was amazing up there. I'll be darned. Have you been back since they now have the memorial there? I have not. It's no. really, it's, it's, it's a whole, there's a whole feel there. I mean, I as an, that. as an empath, which I imagine you are, you would definitely, you would definitely feel it when you get there. Well, I will go. Wow. On my list. All right. This is one of the questions I'm asking everyone, um, because kindness is a big deal with me and I want to prioritize kindness and what you are doing with your life is kindness. You're helping people to really live a fuller life through examining what happened as a child and you know what they need to release and be done with. So have you witnessed or have you given or received an act of kindness recently? So many, it would be hard to pick Ooh, just one. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I feel really blessed and grateful in my life to have a lot of kindness and support. And the reason that I am house sitting in Albuquerque is because I stopped here to get a checkup from a doctor and the doctor's news was that I needed a lot more than just the checkup. And so I've been here working with a specialist and I have needed a lot of rides and I have no friends in Albuquerque. I ha or had no friends in Albuquerque when I got here at the beginning of October. And now I have a whole community of people who are my friends and I have had Yay. so much generosity. I just had an accident last week where I tripped and fell and hurt myself. Oh, new, no. not related to the doctor. And somebody is coming over and watering the plants because getting around to the plants carrying a gallon jug of water is just not something I can do right now. Oh so, gosh. so many little things like that and so many big things. So grateful for but the yay, kindness you, in the you've world. You've got this stuff going on and you're seeing the positive side of things, but you are Always. good. I am. I okay. Am. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. I want, you to, I want you to be able to do your your nomad go everywhere freedom stuff. <laughs> Me too. I have, I have reservations in Kansas City in July at a campground and I'm going. Oh my gosh. I love it. I think it's so cool. I mean, it's so adventurous. I just think, I mean, when you were telling me, I'm like, what? That is really awesome. Kind of threw myself at the world. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, tell everybody where they can learn more about you and, and what you do. Um, my website is the best place right now. Not great, but lcarolscott.com. And you can sign up for the seven childhood treasures manifesto there and join my email list. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as Dr. L. Carol Scott. And you have a TEDx talk. I do. I did a TEDx talk, have to talk exactly three years ago. Is today the eighth? No, today's the ninth. So it was yesterday. Gotcha. Three years ago yesterday, I did a TEDx Wyandotte, uh, Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, community college holds a license Two people there hold a license very and, cool uh, joined a great stage of other speakers and had a wonderful fun night um, talking about the childhood treasure of faith which is the ability to dream big about something so important to you that you would get up every day of your life and work on it and die without it being accomplished and feel like you really did something that's so cool I and actually have it in my queue I was like, I, I, I got to watch this. So yeah, now I got, now you made me even more excited, which makes me want to watch it even more. So awesome. And we get that capacity when we're three to have those big dreams or we get it stepped on. Aww. Yeah. Don't step on them. Don't no, step don't on step on the dreams. dreams. No, don't step, step on, on the dreams. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch out. Give exactly. Take care of those kids. Right. Well, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you 
Thank you, Nash. Um, this was I'm great super fun. honored that you came on the podcast. Thank you so much for that. I, I love what you're doing. It's really important work. And I hope that, you know, anybody out there who has been on the fence about, should I, should I take myself, take yourself on. Take yourself on. Take yeah. yourself on. It's worth, it's worth every minute. And it, on the other side, things are just a little bit more on the rainbow unicorn side of things, right? Freedom. Absolute awesome. freedom. Yeah. Well, I love you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Mish. Love you too. Take care. And everybody out there, you've been listening to Mishmash Podcast. And listen, go to Facebook and we have a group. It is 100THME, 100th Monkey Effect. And we're all about kindness. So come join us. Thank you. Love you.